If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter. And um, I want us to look as we study and continue today and see that Jesus really gives us a life lesson and answers the question, what's most important? Knowing what's most important in a situation can actually be very difficult, can it? It can be overwhelming, can be confusing. And there are certain situations in our lives where we're faced with these kind of questions, you know, how do I know what's most important here? Or what, I've got three decisions I need to make. Which one is, is most important? And I think that it, it shows up in our lives when we ask ourselves the questions, where do I need to go to school? Where am I gonna send my kids to school? What am I gonna do when I get out? What job should I take? When do I, I retire? How's that going to look? Should I take a second job when I do that? How am I going to serve the Lord and there was a time in Luke's gospel where Jesus actually used a miracle to teach something that really wasn't about the miracle. He was giving a secondary, the miracle was kind of secondary to this, and he was teaching using the miracle as an object lesson, actually. And that is a little bit unusual because oftentimes the miracles just kind of stand alone that Jesus was doing something for so, someone. But in this case, it's a little bit different. And when you leave today, I hope that no matter what important decisions you have to make in the weeks and the months that will come ahead, you'll really be able to do it understanding that the most important thing in your life needs to be one decision and you make it and it can be taken care of. So let's read in verse 17 of Luke's gospel chapter five. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on a stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then when the scribes and Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know, the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. This was a little bit of a unique situation because Jesus was surrounded by people who were very, very distinguished. You might imagine if you were brought into a room and we were going to ask you to, to teach us something about something you had observed in the world. And in the room, you looked up and noticed that there were PhDs from Vanderbilt and Fisk and TSU and Belmont, and Lipscomb. That might be a little bit intimidating, right? To know that some of the brightest minds in academia were sitting in front of you. Well, that's what's happening here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law were often called scribes. They are sitting there with Jesus. And this is not an exactly what you would call an easy or a friendly crowd for him to deal with. 
but they're, they're very bright. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were there actually not because they were on a fact-finding mission, but they were on a fault-finding mission. They wanted to find fault with Jesus. And we're going to see that, that that happened. We get a clue to the understanding of this day, and we know that it's going to be different because verse 17 tells us something really important. Luke says about this day, the power of the Lord was on him to heal. Now, Luke's not saying that, that it was a transitory thing or intermittent. It, it's not like a rolling blackout like we experience with power here, that Jesus sometimes had the power and sometimes he didn't. But what he's giving you a, a clue to understand is this day's about to be right. It, it's about to be good. It's about to be incredible. And the next thing he says, when he says the Lord's power was on him, that, that word power, often associated with the miracles, we, we kind of derive our word dynamite from that same word, that power. It's a power that, that we would talk about. I mean, if you're talking about dynamite, it explodes things. It, it changes things in an instant, doesn't it? And so the gospel writers use this word and it accompanies many of the miracles. And what happens next is really one of the greatest miracles in the scripture. I mean, it's astounding when you think about it. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're sitting in a house and it's so crowded that nobody can even get in. They're outside listening. I mean, it, it's that crowded. I've only been in a situation like that once. A, a good friend of this church is a man named Steve Cherico. He's one of our mission partners with First Priority. We have First Priority Christian clubs at Overton High School, at Valor Collegiate Academy. We work with, with First Priority to, to let students lead these clubs and we're a mission partner with them. It's, a, it's a, great, a great thing. And he said to me one day, I have an opportunity for you to hear Francis Chan. And it's an intimate group of people. I have one of the golden tickets. It's only gonna be 12 pastors in the room with Francis Chan. Francis Chan has planted churches, pastored churches, started church movements. I was pretty excited. I got there early. I took a seat in the back of this room and was kind of waiting for it to, to fill up with the 12 people that were going to be there. And, and so there was me, and then there were two, and then five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. The 12 turned into about 40 people, and everybody wanted to be in there. People were literally sitting and standing everywhere. I mean, it was, it was the most crowded room I've ever been in. It was really, it was pretty exciting I mean, to, to have that opportunity, that's what's going on here. Jesus is teaching and word's gotten out about who he is and everybody wants a piece of it. They're crowded around listening to this and all of a sudden, dust starts falling from the ceiling. You look up and, I mean, who has people in their home and decides to do a roof repair? Nobody does that. And, and it keeps going. And, and you think, well, maybe it's not a roof repair. Is there an animal up there scratching around? I mean, what is this? And then you see a, a tile removed and light breaks through. And I don't know if Jesus stopped talking and started looking or if he kept talking because nobody else was paying attention. Everybody's looking up because the hole's getting bigger and four guys are up there and somebody yells, uh, make way, we're coming down. Well, there's no room, right? I mean, they couldn't get in the house. And they start to lower this man. And the challenge is to make room so that this man can be in front of Jesus. Now, I'm sure everyone was dumbfounded by the sight. And as the man got to the ground, there's no doubt that anyone in the room 
they're, they're not overlooking his disability. I mean, it's, it's plain to see. He's on a stretcher or a cot or a blanket being low, low, lowered down in this way. And this malady that he's facing is well known. And he's probably known to people in the area. Remember, there's not a way for like a program to help people that are, that are struggling to find work. I mean, they, they don't have that, you know? There's not laws that, that provide equal access. So this guy probably has to sit outside and live off the generosity of people in the town where he lives that pass him by. But what Jesus said next shocks not only those who are in the room with him, but I think it shocks us as well because we expect him to say something and he doesn't. Look at verse 20 in your Bibles. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. <clears throat> there are two parts of this verse that are important, aren't there? The first is that Luke says, seeing their faith. Now, I don't know all the backstory. You don't either. Was this man lowered into the house? Close with the four men that brought him? Or were they maybe friends from grade school? I imagine maybe they'd, they'd been in school from the time they were young and they played together and, and hung out and, and they heard Jesus was in town and they thought, hey, let's go get our friend and bring him to Jesus. We've heard that he's a man who works miracles. He's mighty indeed. Let's make that happen. And they ran and found him wherever he was and said, look, man, Jesus is over here. Come with us. And so maybe that's what happened. Maybe this man asked some of his friends to take him to Jesus because he had heard that Jesus was in town. Or maybe one of these men knew Jesus and he got three others and they grabbed this man. Or maybe these four guys were just walking by and saw someone and said, hey, would you like us to take you to this guy, Jesus? I mean, would you be interested in that? And, and maybe we don't know what he said. Maybe he felt like, I've tried everything. I don't, don't do this. Can you imagine getting to the house and, and finding that there's no room to get in and some, you know, it's gotta be a redneck, doesn't it? Hey, we're just gonna go up on the roof. No problem. No problem. You, you know, this guy, I mean, I imagine him being a little self-conscious. Please don't, please don't, don't do this. No, 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 we got you. Come on, up on the roof. And they start tearing apart somebody's house. I mean, imagine that. But something happened. Jesus saw their faith. So it doesn't matter if it was the faith of the four men or the five men, but Jesus observed their faith and he responded to it. And this is in keeping with the scripture because the scripture tells us that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, it moves mountains. Scripture tells us that the prayer of the righteous affects much. I mean, it's amazing what James says happens when we begin to pray in faith and we're living in righteousness, that it moves God. God responds to that. So these people, they believed in everything they had heard about Jesus because they believed in it enough not just to get there and wait. They believed in it enough to tear someone's roof apart and lower their friend down. And their faith moved Jesus and he responded to them because they were going to extraordinary lengths to help a man in need. This is important for us to understand. When we begin to understand the true power that is in ours because of Christ Jesus, it might change how we interact with our friends and the people that we meet on a regular basis. You know, for years, I've been imploring you to engage people with the gospel. Just engage them with the gospel. Sit down with them. Tell them your story. Invite them. Bring them here. Can I tell you a startling statistic that still holds true today? 
We have life groups here. We used to call them Sunday school. It's the same thing. Or Bible studies at your church, whatever you want to call it. But if you have three lost people that come to a Bible study for six months, one of them will get saved. If they come for a year, two of them will get saved. Now, why is that? Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right, So when we expose people to this, when we invite them to be part of our lives in Bible study, or we invite them to a Judson Jules event, or we invite them to camp, or we invite them to vacation Bible school, or we bring them to a one or a men's event, or a women's event, guess what we're doing? We're placing our faith in Jesus Christ to do something great in our friend's life. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I believe you can change this person. And we're giving them a crucial opportunity to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine if you had three friends and the four of you started praying for a lost friend and inviting them to come be part of your lives and part of a Bible study. Imagine if you were bringing them to Jesus. It makes us ask this question. Do we really believe that Jesus is the answer? I've been convicted over this over the last week because I wonder if my faith really seeks to influence others for the gospel. Would I be so daring as to go up on someone's roof and and, and, and take the, the tiles off because I believe that Jesus was the answer? Would that be me? Would it be you? Unfortunately, I think that our silence And how we speak about Jesus often already answered the question. There are studies done all the time about churches and why people believe the church is ineffective in reaching people who are lost. And they'll say things like this. Christians are nervous about sharing their faith because they're worried they don't have all the answers. Okay, fair. Christians are worried because of the changing political climate. But see, I don't think that's really the reason that we're, we're not seeing people come to know Christ. I think it's because we don't believe Jesus really is the answer. We don't believe in it. We don't believe his power is effectual. If we did, we'd bring people. If we did, we'd invite them. But, but we're not concerned about that. And we gotta ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that heaven's real and hell's real? Because if we do, what hangs in the balance in between is massive for us. And so I wanna encourage you, Get back to engaging people with the gospel. Invite them to church. Give them a book to read that's influenced you. Tell them your testimony. Ask them if you can pray for them. Ask them if they know Jesus. Get other believers to to invest in people's lives and believe with faith that God's going to start doing something because God is moved by our faith when we put our faith in Christ that Christ is the answer to change people's lives. The second half of this verse is also surprising. Because weren't you expecting Jesus just to heal the guy? I mean, he comes down and it's like, I mean, we all know what the problem here is. Could you just uh, do that? Jesus simply says, your sins are forgiven. Well, that certainly stirred the pot. You know, everyone in the room had to be thinking, this is crazy that he just said that. How can he say that? Look at verse 21. Jesus knew exactly what people were thinking. Then the scribes, And the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, Jesus has just committed the big one, 
I mean, in their minds, this is the big one. Do you remember when we were studying at Easter, what did they say? Are you the son of God? You say that I am. He's blasphemed. That was the motivation to crucify him. You've blasphemed. You've put yourself in equality with God and nobody can do this but God. But Jesus didn't stutter. He didn't misspeak like I so often do and you so often do. He knew exactly what he was saying. When Jesus said your sins are forgiven, it was not an accident. Who has the power to forgive sins? Is it the church? Certainly not. Is it me as your pastor? Absolutely not. Can't do it. I have no remedy for your sins outside of Christ. Christ is the only one who makes a way for us to experience forgiveness because he died on the cross in our place and his blood cleanses us from sin and all unrighteousness. We don't offer forgiveness through ourselves or through our church. We offer you Jesus Christ because he is the one. No one else can do it because he's the only one who's paid for our sins and his blood has given us access to God the Father. Now, Jesus is aware of all these things. Of course he would be aware. Why? Because he's God. He, he says, your sins are forgiven because he's God. Notice what he did as he recognized what the scribes and Pharisees were thinking. Look at verse 22. Perceiving their thoughts, he replied to them, why are you thinking in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Now, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Which one's easier to say, sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? I mean, I gotta say, get up and walk. That's the cooler thing to say. I mean, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven, isn't it? But that is the point. Because if Jesus says your sins are forgiven, what's the evidence of that? What, what, what can we do? How can we know? How could this man know? How could the crowd know that this man's sins had been forgiven? It's an impossibility for us to perceive it outside of what God knows. God judges the hearts. We don't. So Jesus says something amazing. But I mean, I guess so that you'll believe me, I can heal this guy too if you want me to. Get up. Take your stretcher. Go home. Well, when he does that, the miracle then is really not about proving that Jesus has the ability to heal someone. It's about proving that he has the authority to forgive sins. In this instant when the man was healed, everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew where he came from. And it's as if he's saying, if you want to know I have the authority to forgive sins, I'll prove it to you. I can do what you've never seen. You guys know who this guy is. You know that he, he has this malady in his life. He's afflicted by whatever was going on that made it so he couldn't walk to get to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll show you. Well, that sent everyone into an uproar, right? They get pretty excited. Verse 25 says, he got up, picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God, filled with awe and said, We've seen incredible things today. Now, I want to ask you a question. Out of everything we've looked at today, what's the most important thing? Is the most important thing the four men who brought their friend to Jesus? It is important. Obviously, they played a role in what we've just read and experienced ourselves. Had they not been willing to go to the extra lengths that they did, this story doesn't happen. I mean, it's an incredible story of four people who believed that getting their friend to Jesus was the answer. Is that the most important thing though? Their faith. It moved Jesus in a way that we don't often see in scripture. We often see it 
where Jesus does a miracle, but sometimes Jesus marvels at people's faith. There were a couple of times where Gentiles had faith and Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. This is crazy. You guys have a lot of faith. But here, their faith moves Jesus. But that's not the most important thing. There's the fact that everyone in attendance gained a deeper understanding of who Jesus was that day. I mean, they understood that he had the power to heal and that he's a teacher unlike any other. Is that, is that the most important thing? That we should just understand more about Jesus? There is the fact that we can't overlook that a man was restored physically. When he was unable to walk, when he came in, he was able to walk. And that is incredible. And in that man's life, that is really important. That's an important thing. Is it the most important thing? The power of God was on display that day. It was an unusually magnificent way that God did something. Is that most important? I think you know where I'm going with this. None of those things were as important, even though all of them were important. Now, the first service missed what I'm about to say, so I'm prepping you. This is your amen moment. Get ready. What's most important is that someone's sins were forgiven. If we forget that, if we miss that, then we've missed the entire point of redemption, the entire point of the story of the book. And it's always been this way. David wrote about this in Psalm 103. Let me read it for you. My soul bless the Lord. Do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. Did you notice the order in which it starts? My soul bless the Lord. Why? Because he forgives my iniquities and he heals my diseases. It's an important thing that we understand. Now, of all the things that we might do in our church, in our ministries, in the way that, that we seek to meet needs, there's nothing more important than when someone comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All the things that we might do, nothing's more important than that. Now, I want you to think about that with me. I'm afraid we know it, but we might not live it out. Our theology, as a friend of mine said so many years ago, what we believe about God, our theology, affects our methodology, how we do things. And that's very important for us because what you believe about God affects how you serve the Lord and how you lead your life. If we lose sight of this, we might find ourselves doing some incredible work, but missing the point. We could do things that are meaningful on earth, but they don't carry their meaning into eternity. So what I mean by that is we might spend our time feeding people who are hungry and we might spend our time educating people who need education, but if we don't use those as platforms to preach the gospel, we failed. We just sent people to hell educated and full. It has to be both. To do those kinds of things and not speak the name of Jesus over that and invite people to trust Jesus is criminal. On the other side, to neglect those things and just speak to people about Jesus is equally as criminal. Isn't that what the scripture says to us? And it reminds us that the left and the right hand go together on these things. Those things are platforms for us to minister to people so that they understand what the most important thing is. We must couple good works with an understanding that to make someone well-fed and well-educated without giving them the opportunity, has fallen short because this life isn't all that there is. 
on the other side of your death, there is eternity. And so if we understand what the most important thing is, then we don't neglect any of these things, but we stay after all of those things, using them as platforms. So I want you to think about this. If we understand what the most important thing is, then it drives everything. And if we don't, we get mission drift. So just, just for instance, tonight we're going to play volleyball here at the church. Is that the most important thing? I hope not. Now, I think there are going to be games in heaven. How do you know that? I don't. I'm just thinking. But why wouldn't there be? Games aren't bad. So maybe we'll get to play football in heaven. Or maybe you'll be the basketball player you always wanted to be. That's what I'm hoping for. You know, we can all have hopes. But I want you to think about this. We use volleyball as a platform to do something. That makes it most important. We, we do vacation Bible school, not just to, to give people a couple hours break for moms and dads. We do it so that kids can understand that God loves them and that he's died for them. He sent Jesus to die for them. It's a platform for us to do these things. Everything we do needs to do that. If we don't, we drift into obscurity. Because if we don't keep what's most important, always most important, and let it influence everything we do, we lose our mission. We lose our effectiveness, we lose our purpose. So when we do these things, we do them in the name of Jesus with a call for people to repent and receive Christ as savior. I don't wanna close without saying one more thing. Life is challenging for all of us. If it's not been challenging for you yet, you just haven't lived long enough. It's going to be challenging. You can't avoid it. You will not go through this life unscathed. If anyone's told you that, they've lied to you. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have distress. You're going to have illness. You're going to have financial setbacks. You're going to have all the gamut of things that people have been dealing with for all of humanity's existence. It's just the way that it is. You will not get through this life unscathed. And those things are important. But if I know what's most important, it does change how I view the things that I'm dealing with that are important, but not most important. For instance, I think about my family. I pray for my family. I'm sure you do the same thing. In my nuclear family right now, I've had the, the privilege of seeing all of us walk with the Lord and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So when we deal with things in my family that are distressing or, or hard or it feels like life is pressing in on us, we pray about those things. But I could spend all of my time praying about those things and miss the fact that those things are gonna pass away. They're not gonna be here. On the other side of my death, all of those things won't be nearly as important. If Christ comes back tomorrow, none of those things are important. But I could spend more of my time praying and asking God to move in the lives of the people who I know who are lost. I mean, it, you understand what we're getting at here. You don't need to be focused all the time on what's not going with you. Guess what's not going with you? Diseases. They're not going. Won't happen. Heartache, not going with you. Financial setbacks and building wealth, not going with you. All that stuff that you prize right now and that I prize right now, 
Our good friend David Nelms, what does he say? It's all gonna burn. A car, a real nice car, gonna burn. Look at that nice house, gonna burn. Why? Because all this stuff, it's not going with us. So it shapes our mindset a little bit. But it also helps us, doesn't it? Because if I know that the main thing in my life, the most important thing has been taken care of, that Christ has died for me and that Christ has saved me, doesn't that change how I deal with things that are still important, but not most important? When I feel like the world's pressing in on me, when I feel like I've walked in and and I'm carrying a weight or a burden, it does change things, doesn't it? Because I know what's most important is that my eternity is secure. And as believers, if we understand what's most important and we live out what's most important, that is a refreshing testimony to people who don't understand why we're not running around like they are, frazzled by everything else that happens. We have the same things they have, heartache, troubles, but we have something that a lot of them don't have, the most important thing settled. So I want to ask you to do something this morning with me. I want us to enter into a time of prayer and I'm going to ask you to respond with me in prayer. And I want to start just by asking you this morning, Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want you looking around. I'm the only one whose eyes are open. Have you answered the question about what's most important? I mean, honestly, of all the things that are important, has there ever been a time in your life when you answered the question about what's most important? What I mean by that is, has there ever been a time in your life where you repented of your sins and asked Christ to save you? Maybe right now in this room, you would say, I'm uncertain about that pastor because I don't know if I died today, if I'd spend eternity in heaven or hell. I don't know. With no one looking around, just me. Would you be just so honest with me as to say, I don't know, I'm not gonna single you out. I'm not gonna call you to stand up. I just wanna pray for you this morning because this is what's most important. Would you just slip your hand up in the air if there's never been a time in your life or you're uncertain, would you just say, I, I don't know if I've settled what's most important. Is there anybody in the room who would say that? Amen, anybody else? Who else? Amen, anybody else? Yes, amen. Anyone else? Amen. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna walk you through a prayer that can help you settle what's most important. And the words are not what's important. Our faith in Christ is what's important. But maybe you would just say this morning, just quietly where you are, just you and God, would you just repeat after me in your heart, in your mind, Lord Jesus, I wanna settle what's most important. I want you to save me. 
I believe you're God's son who died on the cross in my place. I'm asking you to save me and forgive me. I believe you're the Lord. I give you my life. Save me today. Now, if you've settled what's most important, it might be that you walked in this morning with some important things that are weighing heavy on your mind. And that's okay too. Aren't you glad that Jesus settled what was most important and what was important in this man's life? And maybe you would just say, Pastor, I've got a lot on me right now. I'm struggling. And I'm struggling to live with what's most important because there's some things that are just tough. I want you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up in the air so that I can see that? I wanna pray for you right now. Go ahead. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Others, amen, 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 amen. All around the room, amen. Us confessing that we can't do it on our own. Big surprise, huh? That's why Jesus came. To give us life, life abundantly. Let me pray for us right now. Father, there are some important things in the lives of those of us who've been honest enough to say we're struggling. And I thank you for the honesty of those who boldly raise their hands. God, I pray that you would give them strength for the journey. Father, that you would help them to rejoice today in what's most important so that they can, Lord, still deal with important things, asking you to intervene. And we do that right now, asking you to Intervene in every situation, Lord, that has been lifted up to you this morning. You know what they are. And by faith, we believe that if you can save us, you can change circumstances. And Lord, if circumstances aren't going to change, we believe that you'll strengthen us. Give us strength, Lord. We need it. We can't do it on our own. Last question. How many of you, like me, just needed a reminder this week that we're to be engaging people in what's most important? Maybe you just slip your hand up and say, I've got some friends I need to be praying for, Pastor. I need to share with them. Raise your hand. I want to pray for us. Amen. All around the room, hands are up. Father, we want to be on mission with you. We don't want to forget what's most important. Help us, Lord, to remember that. Help us, Lord, to to keep our eyes fixed on what you said was most important, that someone's sins would be forgiven. God, may we be all about using our platforms that you give us to reach people with the gospel. Give us boldness, give us courage. Most importantly, give us faith to believe that Jesus really is the answer and live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.